Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with Glenn Packiam and Daniel Grothy, and we're joined today by our really special guest, Louis Giglio. Louis is the pastor of Passion City Church and is probably best known as the founder of the Passion Movement, which exists to call a generation to leverage their lives for the fame of Jesus. Since its inception in 1997, Passion has gathered hundreds of thousands of collegiate-age young people in events across the U.S. and around the world. Louis is the author of a number of books, including The Comeback, The Air I Breathe, I Am Not, But I Know I Am, and his recent national best-selling, Goliath Must Fall. He and his wife, Shelly, live in Atlanta, Georgia. Louis, we're grateful to have you today. It's great to be on with you guys. Great to be in the great state of Colorado. Well, Louis, let me just get you started here. Tell us a little bit for our listeners, maybe that aren't super aware of you, tell us a bit about the passion movement and how are you seeing God use it today? Yeah, that's probably most of the listeners. Honestly, I like that. Hello, everyone, wherever you are in the world today. Passion actually was born out of a desire to see university-age young people come alive to a relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And it happened, you know, as most things do in life, God just planted a vision in our heart. We were not looking for that. We were in a very major transitional season of life, probably the most confusing, disappointing, and frustrating season of my life. Hmm. And in the midst of all that, God drops a vision. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes that's the way God works. And maybe if somebody only has a minute to listen to the podcast today, you know, when things aren't going right, when they're going sideways, when we think things Hmm. are upside down, a lot of times God's just preparing Hmm the circumstance and the situation and preparing us for something amazing. And so we launched out with a desire to see the, you know, there are about 20 million university students in America, most of whom say on the entrance evaluation that's done of a quarter of a million of them every year that they do not have a relationship with Jesus. So that's the CIRP survey. Isn't that amazing that out of 60 questions about your background, your parents, your race, your socioeconomic status, blah, 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 blah. There are two questions on this survey that are asked every year of a quarter of a million incoming freshmen and transfer students. And one of them is, do you consider yourself to be a born-again Christian? Now, how that got on there, I don't know. (laughs) And how it stayed on there, I don't know. But about 80% of the students every year say no. And so I was living on a college campus. I was ministering to college students for a decade at Baylor University. I love that crossroads of life that is the university moment. We said yes to God, did not know what that meant. And 22 years later, we're still gathering students. And it's not a conference, really. It's not an event. It really is a purposed movement, Mm -hmm. praying that God will open eyes to see what life's really about. And I believe life is really about the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So if you want your life to count, you got to make it about the thing that matters most. And the thing that matters most for us, and I believe for God, is His glory. So what have you been most surprised and encouraged by in 22 years of ministry doing this? Well, I'm amazed that we're still here. You know, (laughs) we had this very radical vision. I think everybody who gets a vision thinks this has got to happen today. This is before computers, before the internet, before mobile phones. This is back in the day that if you wanted to go to an event, I don't know if anybody listening even can relate to this. You got a brochure in the mail, you wrote a check, you sent it in an envelope, you got registered, and they didn't see you till you walked in the door and said, we're here. (laughs) And so that's where we started, 1997, January 1st. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't even hardly know what this vision was, but we had seen a picture 
God gave me a vision on a flight, on a plane. I've only had a few things in my life like it. I saw something for I don't know how long. I knew that's what we were aiming for. We gathered students in Austin, Texas. 2,000 college students came, wow. Passion 1997, with no marketing, with no internet, no computer, no nothing. 5,000 came the next year. 11,000 came the next year. In the fourth year, 40,000 college students came to a solemn assembly on a field outside Memphis, Tennessee, from every state in America and about 40 nations around the world. And it was the holiest thing mm. I've ever been at to this day. Passion 2000. One day, 2000. And I thought that was the end. You know, we wanted to be a fuse. And I think most church and ministry should have that mentality. Yeah. We didn't want to build a monument. We wanted to be a fuse. We wanted to see an explosion. We wanted to see God start doing something that was unexplainable. And I thought, that's it. That really was the picture I saw. Once I saw it, I went, that's what I saw. Yeah. These kids are on their knees, on their faces, on the ground, literally praying for awakening in their generation. And so we backed off and said, okay, Lord, thank you. We, we followed you. Mm -hmm. And the next year we didn't do anything. And I thought that that was the end. So that's probably the biggest surprise. I thought 2000 <laughs> yeah. was the point. Yeah. But two years ago, we were in the football stadium in Atlanta with 60,000 college students. None Incredible. of whom know anything about what happened in the year right. 2000 in Memphis, right. Tennessee. God's stirring still, moving still, breathing still. And the funny thing about it is the clothes have changed. <laughs> the songs have changed, <laughs> and everything else is exactly the, the same. same. Yeah. If you took a photograph of One Day or Passion 97 and a photograph of Passion 2018, and you put them together as negatives and shine a light through them on a wall, you would see the exact same thing. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. We're rooted in Isaiah 26, 8. For your name yeah. and renown are the desire mm -hmm. of our souls. It's the same root we had on day one. Yep. There are no frills, there are no bells, no whistles, and the fact that God's still leading us is a huge surprise, but people are hungry. Students are hungry. What is it about this stage of life, you think, for students, that their hearts are just open? There, there's, a, there's a crowbar that's cracked something open in them, and they're searching and they're seeking. What is it about this moment in time that you've observed that has made students hungry? Well, I can speak to it specifically from the church side because that's what I have a lot of experience in. And I was on a staff at a church when I went to grad school at Baylor, thinking I was just going to grad school at Baylor. But I also had dated my wife for a year there while I was in seminary at a different school, and I knew the culture at Baylor pretty well from the student point of view, sleeping on a guy's couch, mm. sleeping on a guy's floor in a dorm, going to church on Sunday with my now wife, going and hanging out where people hanging out, eating where people eat, doing all the stuff that you do as a college student. I didn't know I was going to end up in grad school there. And when I did, I saw the students who had been in our ministry in the summer, high school kids, arrive at Baylor and check their faith on day two. Mm -hmm. These are kids that were on the mission trip, were leading out in the ensemble, mm -hmm. were the yeah. stars of the church, second day in, put it on a hook on the wall. I'm going to go to the party this weekend. Mm. I'm going to check out the scene. I'm going to make my own decisions. Mama's I'm going to come in at four o'clock if I want to. I'm going to sleep through church on Sunday and nobody's going to know. But yet Baylor, and I'm not speaking against Baylor, amazing, phenomenal school. My wife's a board member there. And so we love Baylor. But Baylor was a Baptist school. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you guys are ORU guys. This would have never happened. <laughs> this would have never happened at ORU. We were all praying in tongues. <laughs> but at Baylor, kids would sleep in on Sunday and then put Sunday clothes on and go down to the cafeteria for lunch. Wow. That's a weird culture. Right? Yeah, that's right. And that is a very strange culture to say, we're going to plan a Bible study here. Right. Like, we need a Bible study here. Mm-hmm. What we needed was Jesus. We needed people mm-hmm. to see Jesus. And so I learned right then that everything that was suspends in that moment. Mm. Your, your parental influence, your church influence, your school influence, the coach who led you through soccer season year after year, all that suspends. You have free choice and free will. Every option is on the table, and whatever your base beliefs are, they are probably being assailed every single day in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And also, add to that, you are forming your future what am I going to be and do? You are forming your closest friendships in life, and you're most likely getting in the friend group that's going to lead you to the person that you're going to marry. Mm. And when you come to our church or any church, and you see 40-year-old people being baptized, and you hear their story, five out of every 10 or seven out of every 10, this is going to be the story. I grew up in church, went away to Colorado State. While I was in college, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Now, 20 years later, two marriages later, three businesses later, a lot of hurt and harm later, I found my way back to Jesus, and Mm -hmm. he found his way back to me, and I'm planting my soul back in the church. It's a crossroad of life. Mm -hmm. It's the moment where people stop deciding what my parents believed and start deciding what they believe, and that's where you want to be standing, not with message of the church, but with the person Of of Jesus. Amen. Well, Louis, we are so grateful for you and for Shelly and for the whole crew. I mean, I remember going to a regional event while I was a student at ORU. It was you and Charlie. And and then, of course, we took a crew from here to one of the one-day events. But I'm curious, as you've done this over the decades, what are some of the differences you see now? Like, what are some of the challenges? Have the questions changed? It is still sort of this suspended space where there, anything goes, they're trying things. But are there new challenges that you're observing today? Well, I think so. I mean, I I think early on, there was a presumption of normal American life. That definitely was happening in the 90s. And there was this sense in America that you can do something great. Ronald Reaganism was kind of still (laughs) in the fabric of America somehow. And it was a good time economically. It was a good time pretty stable politically. And I think kids were thinking, I'm going to get a job. And I'm going to do something great and make some money and make a life for myself. Well, now we're on the backside of the greatest economic depression in any of our memory, maybe in our nation. A lot of political instability, a lot of racial instability, Mm -hmm. cultural instability, global instability. And when we started Passion, kids didn't have the opportunity to interact with the entire world every single second of the day. And so now you've got a a very anxious, depressed, sociopathic generation (laughs) that has so many conversations every day, they don't even know who they are anymore. Because mm. I talked to a guy in Tokyo while we were gaming this morning. I was Instagramming my friend in California this afternoon. I was FaceTiming with somebody else in another place talking about something else over lunch. I had all the news feeds at my disposal. I know Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin got engaged in real time, and I'm concerned for Selena now. I don't know how <laughs> that's going to impact her and whether they're going to stay together. And there's Sound a lot generation. of information overload and a lot of disappointment in this particular moment and it's a little different than it was 
then. But the difference now that's better is that there's a real sense of belief that our voice matters. Yeah. And you see that in the protest of today. America wants to congregate right now mm-hmm. and show that our voice matters, whether it's for gun safety at our school yeah. or yeah. for women's rights right. or for whatever the cause or whether it's yep. Greg Laurie at AT&T Stadium with however many tens of thousands of people. And I believe that this generation really does believe there's something more than the old school American dream. And there's something called making your life count. Well, on that note, Louis, I want to ask you a question. And maybe some of what you've said to this point will lead into this. But so here you guys are. You're leading the passion movement, which is no small thing. And you're writing a bunch, no small thing. And then in 2009, you and your wife, Shelly, decide to start a church in Atlanta. I'm going to assume that some of what we talked about so far was part of the groundwork for that. But tell us where that came from for you. Why did you guys decide to start the church? Man, I wish we had a a podcast for that because I think um, it's a crazy story. But the short version of it is I was convinced when I was 30 years old I would never be a local church pastor, and I was fine with that. The way I got convinced was I spoke at an event like the one I'm speaking at tonight. After the event, I was sitting around a table like this with people I didn't know. A guy asked me a question, Louie, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years? I'm thinking up an answer because honestly, none of us around the table have an answer to that question. (laughs) So I'm thinking up an answer, you know? And while I'm thinking up an answer, another guy answers for me. He goes, I'll tell you what he's not going to be doing. And I'm like, wow, this is all happening in my head. I'm excited to hear what I'm not going to be doing in 10 years. He won't be a local church pastor. So the way he speaks, the way God uses him, that prophetic gift that's on his life, you can't do that Sunday after Sunday. People wouldn't stand for it. So I know he's not going to do that. And in my mind, I thought two things. Number one, I don't really want to do that. That's not what I'm after. I'm not really beating down the door to be a local church pastor and... Maybe you're right, because I do care more about saying what God wants to say than getting invited back or whatever, whatever. But I also didn't know how to steward my gift as well when I was 30 (laughs) as I do when I'm 60, so I'm not saying that was all good. But I walked away from that table convinced I was never going to be a local church pastor, and so the thought never crossed my mind. And if it ever did, I would say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. And when I was 45 years old, the Lord started tapping on my heart and peeling off these layers of that conversation and trying to get into my heart and say what he eventually was able to say, which is, I want you to be a local church pastor. And I was like, I want to be a local church pastor. I'm a good pastor. I like pastoring people. And I want to be planted in a city yeah. because I believe what I had believed which was when I was younger, I thought the way you make the biggest impact on the world is you go to the most places you can and speak to the most people you can speak to. The reason I believe that is because that's what I was doing. Yeah. Sure, sure. See, we like to form our philosophy of life around what Practice. we're doing. Right, yeah, yeah. justify our Instead actions. Instead of yeah. forming our actions around what our Beliefs. philosophy of life is. Yeah. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the most places, speak to the most people. About 40, I had this big wake-up moment, and I went, whoa, this isn't how you make the greatest impact on the world. You make the greatest impact on the world, but you guys knew this. You're ahead of me staying in the same place for the longest amount of time, pouring into the most people that you can Mm. to see the reproductive power of the gospel at work in the generational cycles that come. Mm. And I'm like, hello, this is what Jesus did. And he did travel around, he did speak a lot, and he's a different example because he was the son of God. But I was like, I want to root. Yes. And yes, God, if you can call me to the world to speak, I'll go, but I want to root somewhere. All that was kind of taking hold at that 45 moment. 
And I'm a slow mover, so I'm sorry uh, to say it, but I'm remedial in a lot of ways. And it took me from 45 to 50 to get over the fact that that guy told me I wasn't going to be a local yeah, church not pastor. God. Not God. Wow. You got to be careful gotta what be you careful. let people no, speak okay. over your life. No. And if I can be a little bit bolder if you're listening, especially people who have a word from God for your life. Man, when people come to me and say, I've got a word from God for you, I just, in my heart, I go, dear Lord, help me. So I first think I say in my mind, not that they couldn't have a prophetic word sure. for me, but nine times out of ten, they don't. Mm-hmm. Because so-and-so, you've had it happen. Yeah. <laughs> I have a word from God for you, and then you go to lunch, and there's a lady that says, I have a word for right, you, and right. it's the opposite of the other guy's word, and you're like, okay, everybody doesn't have a word from God for me today. And, and he finally got through to me, praise God. And he said, I didn't say that to you. That guy who I don't know that guy's name said that to me. So I don't even know who I'm talking about right now. God bless him. And um, I said to Shelly, babe, we're going to plant a church. And she said, no, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'll just end the story there. And it wasn't bad. She wasn't like trying to be a punk about it. We just had a lot of obligations and commitments. We were running a record label. We were managing artists. We had a lot of stewardship that we had actually signed on the dotted line to honor a lot of stuff in life. And she said, hey, the way you work is, you're going to plant the church. I'm going to end up running the church. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Because I'm a, I'm a starter and not a good finisher. And she's a great finisher. And so the Lord's given us grace. We planted the church. He convinced her in a way that's another podcast story for another day, but one of the great miracles of our lives. And we planted the church, and it's been the hardest thing we've ever done. And the greatest time we've ever had. Mm. And we love beautiful. it. Beautiful. So beautiful. Louis, you alluded to this just a moment ago, but obviously one of your legacies is in cultivating worship leaders, not just worship songs, but worship leaders. People who have a heart for what the Lord is saying and doing. And speak to the community out there of worship leaders that are listening to this podcast, maybe songwriters as well. You know, I remember in the late 90s, there was a purity to a lot of the movement as it was kind of getting its legs. And as it's grown, it's taken on lots of other overtones. And so for the 18, 19, 20-year-old out there that sees the kind of life or the kind of sort of circuit that a worship leader might be on, speak to them as someone who's been on the ride for a long time. Yeah, well, I honestly don't understand. I mean, I know what you're saying, obviously, but I don't understand the circuit life and the circuit mentality um, for a speaker or a worship leader an illusionist or anybody else that can make a living going from church to church or event to event. It's a foreign concept to the person and nature, the heart, the character of Jesus. Mm. Our call is to serve people and to honor God. And worship leading is not a job, a career. It's a calling. And that calling is a holy calling. I mean, we're in the line of the Levites. We're in the line of Moses and Aaron. We are in the line of men who were so committed to the honor of God that it's staggering to think that we are in that legacy. Mm -hmm. And the stage is four feet tall and the lights are bright, but that's only so that people can see better. It's not to elevate a person. Mm -hmm. And the best heart of worship to me is still in this day is someone who worships in their closet. They like the lobby better than the green room. Mm -hmm. They look in the mirror of the word more than they look in the mirror. 
And they come to lead the people and not to lead the songs. Come on. And I would just say that. That's a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, but it I would encourage people to ask God to cultivate in them. You mentioned Charlie Hall. He led at our all-team meeting yesterday uh-huh, at, at church. He's in town in a writer's retreat that's going on at our house right now. And I just I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> This guy knows how to lead people. And there are a thousand people out there that know how to lead songs. Mm. And I'm just challenging our team all the time. Look, I don't, I'm not looking for somebody to be able to lead the song. Right. Now, you can't be horrible, <laughs> right. but you don't have to be the best person on the face of the earth. I challenge them, ask God to teach you, give you an anointing and an authority. Yeah to actually lead the people. And I learned that, and I know this is it's an old guy talk, but I'm an old guy, so I don't know how to talk, but like an old guy. I learned that by going to Oakwood Church 20 minutes up the road from my home every Tuesday night for three years and leading the 17 kids at Oakwood Baptist Church Youth Group yeah. when it was me and Johnny Mosier and his guitar yeah. and 18 metal chairs in a circle in yes. some auxiliary room That's next right. to the church. And if I didn't, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so right. I know it's not me, but if I didn't change the atmosphere, right. if I didn't turn to ship, yep. right. if I didn't help people see Jesus, it wasn't, wasn't going to happen that If you night. can't lead there, you can't That's lead right. anywhere. <laughs> and so if you get an on-ramp to desperation, come conference. Hello, I'm 20, and I'm a phenomenal guitar player, and all of a sudden, I'm on a stage on one of the great conferences in America. Well, you've got a band around you. You've got sound around you. There was an incredible short film that played right before you, (laughs) and Lisa Bevere is coming to speak right after you. You know, anybody could lead worship in that space. <laughs> I'm with you, man. Boiling ministry down to its most elemental. And that's the thing, you know, the drift of the church in America is that it's become so, in some ways, so commercialized and professionalized that we've lost the soul of it. Uh, on that note, Louis, we're almost out of time here. So your ministry has given you, I think, a really unique vantage point on what is happening in the church in America and what the needs are. So I'm just curious in your last couple of comments with us here, when you're praying for the church now, Where's your heart going? How are you praying? I'm praying for for the Acts 2 church. Preaching on Acts right now. I love how simple Acts 2 is. And if you ask anybody about it, you're going to get, again, their slice of Acts 2. That Acts 2, I like the house church movement. I like 30 people in a room eating a meal together. This is the real church. This is Acts 2. Or you're going to get, I like Acts 2. The Holy Spirit has come, and people are speaking in other languages, (laughs) and this is going to be amazing, and this is it. Thank you, Lord. Other people are going to give you the gospel is the center of everything Mm. in the heart of God. Acts 2 hinges around the gospel. The Spirit came. The gospel was proclaimed. Faith and repentance exploded. Mm. And 3,000 people were baptized that day. The whole world was reached Mm -hmm. because God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were in the city for the Mm -hmm. Feast of Weeks. But then right away, God didn't have a dilemma. And he didn't say, am I going to have a mega church or a house church? Mm -hmm. Boy, we're going to have to call a tribunal and decide because what will we do? We're perplexed now. We've got a choice to make. He didn't make a choice. He said, we are going to explode this gospel so that multitudes of people are swept 
by faith into this life in the Spirit. They're going to get Jesus, forgiveness, and the Spirit is what it says in the end of the message when they received. And then they're going to be knit into a family for a purpose, which is called Acts. So it's not, I'm asking God to wake up the church in America. We don't need more kumbaya. We don't need more campfires. We don't need more sitting around like obsessing over what we have in God. Mm. We need to get Mm. in boats and go to cities and proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit Mm. because this is the reason why the Spirit has changed us in the first place. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Mm